Hear that? Believe it or not, summer is just around the corner. Luckily, Armorall, America's most trusted auto appearance brand, has what your car needs to get that perfect summer shine. Plus, now through May 31st, we'll give you $5 for every 20 you spend on Armorall products. That means car wash pods, protectant, tire shine, you name it. Find out how to get your $5 rebate at armorall.com. Armorall, less work, more clean. Terms apply. Explore the depths of your curiosity with aerospace engineer John Connolly, Columbia Space Center's Benjamin Dickow, and CEO of Heavy Metal Magazine, Matthew Medney, as they bring scientists, engineers, and authors on a journey of discovery. This is putting the science in science fiction, where fiction and science collide. I wanted to um, talk about something that uh that ben had brought up Uh-oh. a couple weeks ago and i don't know tell me if you if you had talked about it the jet um the jet off terra that bladeless no please talk um the electric car that has those bladeless sort of dyson bladeless like fans mm. on it that can tilt vertical and horizontal mm. and, and it's run off of uh you showed you showed that to us um I think where I'm going with that is just we're at the between that and the aviation order for 94 planes to Cape Air in Cape Cod, and those are nine seater electric planes that they now said they're they're ready for what is it, production level, mm-hmm. and that they're going to begin building them. We're right there at the cusp mm-hmm. of avionic electric transportation, mm-hmm. and it's very exciting to think about. It's also very interesting because it really, it's a field where I think you really get a clear cut sense of where the limits of technology are. Mm -hmm. And that, that, that is not in necessarily an abstract way that sometimes aerospace can be Mm -hmm. either, you know, with a lot of different factors. One clear one here is battery technology, Mm -hmm. lithium ion batteries, they're, power density and energy density and energy density and the, the fact that the the limitation of electric aviation is the amount of mass required in batteries to pow- versus the amount of power that you're getting for light We're, we there's just a limit right now right. and we are are working furiously in material science all at the, at the edge of that and but it's a pretty it's a pretty steep barrier there's a lot of a lot of different um, R&D being thrown at it, but I just kind of wanted to get what your thoughts were about um, lithium-ion batteries and, and that tech and where you think we're going. Uh, well, I think, you mean in relation to, to aviation? I think that, I mean, the fact that they're, the fact that we've gotten to the point of ordering electric planes is is a huge step forward. It's a huge marker of, of a step forward. And I think, um, I think that tech is only going to get better. I don't, and, and you know, it's going to have that sort of payoff at ultimately that it's going to have the same sort of energy versus mass ratio that, you know, a gallon of gas or kerosene or jet fuel has. Um, I think that's probably closer than we think. I don't know what the time is, but um, I mean, I think you're seeing so much investment in battery technology across the world and 
with all of that, it's kind of like back what you were saying with the vaccine. You have the entire medical community of a planet kind of working on this one problem. I think you have a pretty good percentage of material scientists and, and other manufacturers and things like that working on, you know, higher and higher efficient, efficiency batteries that um, it's only going to get, it's only going to get there. Um, I was really surprised actually that we're as far as we are on this. Um, I mean, I can absolutely see for like lighter planes or smaller passenger planes, but that we're closer than I thought to like large passenger planes. That's, that's pretty amazing because that's a ton of, you know, it's a ton of energy. Well, so, I mean, what, what have you seen that's for larger passenger planes? Because to my knowledge, the aviation, the nine seater is the largest aircraft, the largest electric aircraft that I've seen a, a serious action towards. No, that's for sure. But, um, but that there are reasonable plans out there and how, how they might be able to scale this up. It's like just a couple of jumps of evolution of, of tech and they should be able to scale this up. It seems again, like it seems like I don't want to be, I don't want to sound optimistic because I'm trying to root my answer in, in just kind of what I've read in, in science, but it just, the fact that we're able to get even nine people in an airplane and keep them safe with, you know, with enough energy generated to keep them safe on a flight is a huge leap forward. And then just multiplying that I think is going to be, you know, relatively, relatively easy given a few sort of just evolutions in battery technology. I mean, look at the lithium ions um, had been around for a long time, but it wasn't until maybe the past 10, 15 years or so that they really were able to dial them in. And now they've provided a huge explosion of technology. Um, yeah, I mean, I also think that the car industry is pushing this. So that's a whole other sort of huge army of manufacturers. Totally. Um, the fact that like Ford and, and GM are totally on board with, 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 you know, electric car technology is just, I think batteries are just going <laughs> to, I don't want to say explode. Batteries are going to advance <laughs> faster than we think um, in the next 10 years because all these, you know, also all these regulations are going to be coming on board where you were, you know, huge percentages of car populations are going to have to be electrics, right? So um, that's going to just drive this. Well, in California specifically, sure. right? 2035, no longer right. allowed to buy a gas powered car, period, right? right? Full stop. Right. That's like, that's like the end of an era. Exactly. Exactly. You know, what's funny about that. I always thought I used to really, well, not that I used to, but I don't go as much anymore, but, um, every Friday night at Bob's big boy in Burbank slash Toluca Lake is since 1949, I love Bob's big boy. Since 1949, there's been a classic car show, uh, or, you know, hot rodders or something like that showing up. And as the gasoline, inter, in, you know, internal combustion engine, it gets, taken away. What's going to happen to all those classic cars? I met a guy a couple weeks ago that he's really starting to specialize in um, restoring old cars, but turning them into electric. Um, I've seen some of these companies doing yeah, this. It's super awesome. And I know there are some people who are so purist. It's like, it has to be original factory from, you know, has to, exactly the same as it came off the line in 1953. But I think a lot of people with those classic cars are going to start to, um, uh, you know, refurb the the drivetrain of their classics. It's, it's going to be super cool. 
Well, first, I just want to say the things I want to say about the people that say should be off the line from 1953 are things I can't say on this <laughs> podcast. Um, so we'll leave it at that. Um, but I do think it is incredible if you think about it that, and and I'm I honestly just in the last few moments really contextualize this. Mm-hmm. So I'm also kind of still in awe of the statement I'm about to make. But, you know, effectively, it took only 100 years to make the combustion engine obsolete. Yeah, exactly. From a car point of view. Like, you know, 1918 is probably when it started. Probably 25 is when it was really mass produced. But, you know, if you call 1935 as like really mass produced Mm -hmm. to what California is doing – I mean, it's really only a hundred years that civilization was like, yeah, cool, okay, done. That's like pretty incredible. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And pretty necessary. (laughs) I mean, just that's – well, I mean, there's so many different factors at play here. And I'm really glad that you brought up the the car industry Mm -hmm. because I was going to ask you, Ben, what – you know, between the money and the climate, what were the factors – that are really driving the, the battery revolution mm-hmm. here. And, you know, co- generally with these big companies, it's cost savings sure. or it's avoiding the changing laws versus the magnanimity right. of actually thinking for forward thinking for the planet. Absolutely. Um, but yeah, I, and I mean, it just, it needs to happen. I mean, mm-hmm. we're based, I'm kind of scared after looking at some of the flooding and different things that have been happening in the past couple of weeks to think that there's still 15 more year, or 14 more years before California mm-hmm. stops allowing people to purchase those, uh, you know, purchase gas powered vehicles, mm-hmm. but also based on the pa- the cost of gas, you know, 15 years from now, I think I'll have a gas powered Explore the depths of your curiosity with aerospace engineer John Connolly, Columbia Space Center's Benjamin Dickow, and CEO of Heavy Metal Magazine, Matthew Medney, as they bring scientists, engineers, and authors on a journey of discovery. This is putting the science in science fiction, where fiction and science collide. But are we finally starting to run out? Or, well, are we running out in our existing places, which is going to then try to lead us to drilling in the Arctic as the ice keeps melting? But, you know, when uh, – this is tangenting, but it's so relevant here. Uh, Matt, you and I had talked about when Elon had proposed – is proposing the, um, the launch platforms from the ocean mm-hmm. that oh, – the mobile so launch excited. platforms – which is fantastic, yeah, because yeah. For, or, for orbital insertions, you can save so much fuel if you can actually just have any latitude. Mm-hmm. But I'm also thinking, you know, is there a point where hurricanes or different things mm-hmm. in the ocean are so bad because of global warming that we're no longer able – like there's a window that we can use those and then we blow you know, yeah. You know what <laughs> I would say to that, John? I would say uh... – we just got to meet Kardashev's uh, type one civilization. If we can control weather patterns, and that's a non-issue. <laughs> I think we're a long, a long ways before having the type of. If we are currently a type zero and Kardashev is a type one for planetary energy consumption, mm-hmm. are you, would you say we're point 
five, point eight, or point one from type one civilization. Is it logarithmic? <laughs> uh, I mean, I, I maybe a point two. It's is where we're at, or, or where are we at, at point two, or do we? I think we're. I think we're at. Do we point, need? I think we're at point two. If it's logarithmic. <laughs> nice. I thought uh, there's there's no. Go ahead. I was just gonna say, John. I thought you were gonna go with when you're talking about the cars and and uh, and uh, where we're at climate wise that. Um, even if we get to that goal in 2035, is that even going to be enough? You know, it, it almost seems like everybody moving to electric vehicles is great, but you know, that was like the hot thing and the solution 15, 20 years ago. But now it's just kind of like, which makes me think like, that's probably why it's going to happen is just because there's now no risk at all business wise, any, any wise. Yeah, I mean the cost. I forget what the cost in ten years. The cost difference of uh, dollar per kilogram mm -hmm. of, of battery per or, or, or um, dollar per kilowatt per kilogram. It had to do with with battery in, in, in mm -hmm. ten years has almost come down in order of magnitude. Oh, sure. That, I remember reading that. To answer your question, do I think that even if all that work happened in the next fifteen years, would it really matter? No, I mean, at this point, we are past right. the point of just being able to reduce and stop inputting carbon. We've now put too much carbon in to passively sit by. Mm -hmm. We have to actively take carbon back out of the atmosphere, as well as, you know, for, for lithium-ion batteries, also, I mean, it, less so for solar panels now, definitely in the past, and definitely very so much for now for wind turbines, they are renewable energy sources. However, you do need to look at the carbon footprint requirement of mm -hmm. extracting all the materials to make them. Mm -hmm. And you know, over that's a big argument sometimes against turbines is that, especially with all the different lubricants that are needed mm -hmm. and, and the maintenance that there's a lot of debate if they really are carbon neutral, carbon net negative. Um, we, from the most recent David Attenborough uh, mm -hmm. uh, documentary, which now is really no more feel good and just going for the imminent jugular, it's time to wake up people. You got to you got to enjoy watching those Planet Earth episodes. There's not going to be a Planet Earth three if we don't start shaping up. And uh, the thing you really hammered home is that the Holocene is over. <laughs> 10,000 10, 000 years of the most stable climate the earth has seen in the past 100,000 years mm -hmm. is now being, is, has been ruined. Mm -hmm. And we've put so much carbon in that it was 1988 was when they considered the era over and that human influence has overtaken the, the climate's fate. Mm -hmm. So now, yes, we need to focus you know, the aviation is another big thing. You know, if you can take all the small domestic flights, can move into electric. If we can get enough solar panels and just start on one side cutting the carbon, mm -hmm. that's going to keep things from getting as bad as mm -hmm. quickly. But the direct capture, direct air capture technology, mm -hmm. that's something else that's being looked at really with a sort of sci-fi 
lens sure. yeah. and needs to. I think in, in tandem with the amount of energy put into battery research, we need to be looking at how to make a cheap, modular, mass-producible device that can suck carbon dioxide out of the air and find a stable way of storing it. Mm-hmm. Uh, that um, ultimately, too, though, another big thing is there is most of the uh, carbon dioxide and the carbon really that, um, that is stored in this earth is still stored or was stored in soil. Mm-hmm. We have tilled most of the arable land on this planet and have done horrible agricultural practices, which I feel like is one of the main tenets that usually gets ignored when, when we talk about different factors that have influenced climate change mm-hmm. and global warming. We look primarily at fossil fuel burning, which has been huge. Mm-hmm. However, the amount of carbon that's been released by unsustainable agriculture practices is a huge problem. Mm-hmm. And we're not only releasing tremendous amounts of carbon into the atmosphere, we are also killing the amount of soil that we have, which is also a finite resource. And we're getting better with indoor growing as we have been for the past century, because that's also that's something that science told us, science has been consistently wrong on, is scientists have consistently predicted that 50 years in the future, we would have starved to death mm-hmm. 50 years ago when they made those predictions. And we have made tremendous headway, especially when it comes to uh, either indoor crop techniques, but also genetic modification of crops mm-hmm. to be hardier, grow in different regions. But there is also just a, a finite resource limit when all the edges of the map fill in. Mm-hmm. And we would also do very well by letting areas grow, not doing just till rotor chilling methods of, of farming to try to have plants grow. Because ultimately that's one of the best ways is taking the carbon back out of the atmosphere yeah. is to let things grow. Plant again. more trees. <laughs> it's really simple. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. That's how it was regulated <laughs> for um, four and a half billion years. <laughs> or, you know. Something interesting related to that, though, that I did, that got brought to my attention that I learned this past week is I've always thought of palm oil. Just when I hear it, I think of uh, a rainforest being cut and a bunch of palm oil being planted in the plant, palm oil trees being planted in the plantation. Right. And that palm oil is basically the devil when it comes to the environment. Mm-hmm. Turns out palm oil is actually the most sustainable of plant based oils per the amount of area required to grow it mm. much higher yields than, than soy or olive. Mm-hmm. Um, it, but it's just, you know, that they're cutting down Borneo to do it and mm-hmm. using child slaves and burning the forest. It, it, it's all the, all the methodology. Sure. So actually people, uh, it's it just, it, it's weird. I, I think it just gets sort of demonized in, um, conservation news but they need to clarify that it actually isn't the problem it, it's more nuanced than mm-hmm, that. Mm-hmm. as as are most things mm-hmm. so yeah this is interesting goes back to critical thinking skills and evaluating data and information which is what we were talking about before with uh, science right and something that most people seem to drastically lack right now <laughs> Um, one other thing I wanted to bring up 
is did either of you see what happened with the ISS earlier yes. this week last mm-hmm. week? Yes. So um, Mike just sent me an article that came out just about an hour ago um, that the ISS flipped out of control after the Russian module misfired. Mm-hmm. And it looks wild. But um, do I, John, do you want to quickly for everyone listening kind of give a, a quick uh, explanation of what happened so that they can, so that people can understand what happened to the ISS? Uh, yes. So, uh, the Russians have a new module, the NAQA module that they were docking with the space station when the NAQA's module thrusters began to fire, which spun the ISS one and a half times before they were able to stop it and fix it, which, as they say in most... I mean, I've probably read 10 different reports on this. There's not much change of information one side or the other, other than they usually repeatedly say it was dicey. <laughs> so... Is that I, an official what, account? what does that mean? Well, the ISS is huge. It's huge. Well, it's, you know, <laughs> totally huge. huge. It's, it's huge and, and not fragile, but you know, a series yeah. of modules and, and huge solar arrays that are gently held together by girders that are not meant to undergo any kind of extreme torque. Right. So I'm really curious to see what sort of stress was put on the – or if, if there was any significant structural – strain that was put on the ISS. I mean, obviously mm-hmm. it was able to survive it. So good on the engineers of how <laughs> they have designed it and good on mission control and NASA and everyone involved being able to make correct what right. happened and, and get everything fixed. Um, yeah, it's just, it, it, it's weird because it's news that seems so minor, but you know that it could have gone so much worse. I'm honestly, I, I'm honestly, so I mean, I shouldn't be surprised, but I'm a little surprised. Like that's not just a small, like, Oh, micrometeoroid hit. And remember about a year ago or something like that, there was a, um, maybe some sort of a leak or whatever. Like, you know, the, yeah. those are big deals, but that's not, but the fact that the thing tumbled for one and a half times, this huge, like that is a, that's a big story. Like, I don't know. I just I'm surprised that that didn't get a little bit more so, press. So what does that mean? Okay, so think of, think of the ISS. You can picture it floating there. It, mm-hmm. It's what two or three football fields long. Three, uh, three. You know, it's all these modules that are generally about Matt. Say, I don't know what three to four meters in diameter, mm-hmm. and it's you know I don't know another like three to six meters long, basically the maximum size of a module that you could fit either in the fairing of a, uh, um, a rocket or a lot of the ISS is built up by the shuttle sure. yeah. over a series of launches. So you have all these that are held together by, you know, different clamping mechanisms, creating this building out this whole framework. There's all these solar arrays this is a lot of mass. It doesn't really move. You know, it's been assembled over 20 something years and parts of it don't really move relative to each other. And, and you know, they have very minor, minor orbital corrections or boostings that happen. But, you know, that's, if you're going to boost 
the ISS, you're going to power thrusters from all over it to try to, uh, you know, to try to balance the forces as you do it. This was picking one spot in its structure and throwing enough force, you know, off center that it spun the entire ISS one and a half times. And given the scale of it, uh, I mean, uh, I, I'm 47 minutes probably, you know, to go one and a half rotations is pretty slow, but for something at scale, you would have noticed it as well as just, you know, is it pushing the ISS? It's still, it, it, because it's off, off center, it's spinning it, but is it deorbiting it? Is it trying to push yeah. it into uh, a slightly higher orbit as well as just the, once you've now added this imbalance rotation and spin to the station, trying to correct that mm -hmm. and, and neutralize the spin back down, is a pain. Mm -hmm. It's complicated. They have to try to fire <laughs> thrusters all over the all over the ISS to get it back to, to stabilize it for con. That's why they were out of comms because right. they just had spun all around and all the the different vectors that they have for signals are all messed up. Mm -hmm. um, but at the same time, too, the fact that you know we the NASA and the space um, agency and the people involved were able to correct that i know mm -hmm. it seems like something that would be in an episode of for all mankind <laughs> you know just so it's something that happens in the 80s right 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 wow by the way i want to say wow you're so right iss is over 300 yards so it's it's about the it's a little it's around the size of the football field not three football fields hmm. but still no that's pretty big said, no you just you no, you just said 300 yards uh, sorry, no, That's I meant about three foot. Sorry, no. sorry, 300 feet, 100 yards. It's the size of a football field. Yeah. Oh, one football yeah, field. Yeah, one, not three football fields. Oh, okay. I was going to say it's still but, pretty I mean, big. It's still very large. Yeah. <laughs> and it's and, and it's heavy. It weighs how much? It, it's almost a million pounds. Uh, John, I'm just like speechless because I'm just like thinking about Gordo trying to pilot it and keep it from continually spinning and like just like he's like oh boy here we go has maybe like an open can of beer next to him while he's trying to fix the iss uh, i mean well r.i.p gordo we I, love you. I mean i just think of neil armstrong having to correct oh, yeah. the uh the gemini as it mm -hmm. was when it was docked with the agena mm-hmm and it's spinning out of control, and he's trying not to black out. Mm -hmm. <laughs> oh. And that was tiny. Compared. Yeah, that was tiny, and that was that was tiny, and there was no backup. You right. know, that was him. That was him in there. No, there was no help. There was no computers that were right. going to make those corrections. There was nothing anyone on the ground could do. Right. Uh, uh, do we also see? Well, something else in NASA news. I want to. Announce that yesterday the Lucy spacecraft arrived in Kennedy. Oh, it landed. Wow. It was. It was. Yes. I was there in Lockheed to witness it getting boxed up. Oh, cool! And uh, nice. yes, and uh, it will undergo launch preparations for the next two months, and then it is scheduled to launch on October sixteenth. Oh, cool! That's awesome. Yep. And how much of Lucy did you get to work on? Uh, I mean, I got to work on uh, ground support equipment and allo operations. So for 
different phases, but all, all over for the assembly hmm. and, and for sub-assembly integration. Testing. So your fingerprints are all over it? As I say, I wish. Wearing gloves. As I say, yes. Well, yeah. I, was, I was I was trying to make a joke about that, but John's too clever. He 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 plugged the joke before I could say it. I was gonna say we've we've had we've had Mike Pence visit our campus. I'll leave it at that. Oh geez, oh geez, Louise, how many gloves did he have to wear? Uh, if only he had. I, yes, that's hilarious. <laughs> uh, that's one of the best, saddest pictures. <laughs> Yeah. Every, every, one of the room, every one of the room just thinks, oh, God, now we have to clean that. Exactly. Uh, what is that process? What is that process? Like to clean it. Like if somebody if somebody contaminates it by mistake, like like is it like a disaster? I mean, in that case, no. You would probably just rub, put spray alcohol and rub it down. Uh, especially for Lucy, they actually decoupled a little of the um, planetary contamination protocols mm. because it's not going to a planet. Oh, right. So right. they consider contamination risk minimal mm-hmm. because of its, uh, its mission. Mm-hmm. Hey, uh, speaking of NASA news and launches coming up, James Webb telescope, which we haven't talked about, oh. um, oh, which has been right. much delayed. Um, but I mean, exciting because it's gonna it's gonna be even more powerful than hubble and how awesome has hubble been to like expand our consciousness of the universe and where we um, are in it um but yeah i don't know you know i saw it a few years ago when it was here because it's was assembled here at northrop grumman in el segundo um and it was awesome it was super massive but then of course it got delayed and stuff like that but what's the update i haven't i'm gonna look it up right now but is there a launch date uh, right now, launch is scheduled for November. Oh, okay, cool. But um, that it, it's, you know, for, for launches that are interplanetary missions, they usually, you can usually know what the launch date is years mm-hmm. in advance, especially right. for something like Lucy, which is really, has a very complex trajectory. Right, right. They need to know that years out. For the James Webb uh if it's being put, I'm trying to remember, is it put in, is it going to be put into a sun synchronous orbit uh, or sorry, a heliocentric orbit, or is it going to be orbiting the earth? Lower? It's orbiting the earth, but it's at the Lagrange point. So it's really far out there. Okay. But still, you know, there isn't then, a, there's only so many variables in right. terms of you don't need other planetary alignments. So they can just have a general launch window and yeah. we probably won't know the exact day until we go it's been a receding horizon mirage for the james webb forever but to your point i mean if hubble was that good yeah i want to i want every picture that hubble took and then i want the web to go in on that same picture yeah and i just want 10 times more detail yeah you know the the eagle nebula blown up so big that in full size it would cover of the wall of a skyscraper type picture. They must and, be thinking and... of that. I mean, speaking of, you know, the PR involved as opposed to science, um, you know, NASA's really upped its game as far as those kind of things. And they must be one of the first things is doing a side-by-side comparison between a Hubble photograph and a James Webb, just to like justify its existence. Oh, I mean, 
Absolutely. I mean, I think they need to do the same thing too. Of literally point the James Webb at the moon. Right. And yeah. Oh my God. At Mars and, and you know, pit, mm-hmm. look at see Apollo, you know, for all the people yeah. who, who say, Oh, there was no moon landing. This is the James Webb telescope now showing you Apollo 11 on the surface of the moon or, um, yeah, but it's good. You know, it's anytime finally something gets done. I, I've been reading pale blue dot right now, which mm. was written in 91. Yeah, that makes sense. And, uh, Carl Sagan is talking about Cassini, mm-hmm. the Cassini spacecraft. Mm-hmm. And there's an entire chapter that's devoted to Titan and, you know, all the information in that is still theories being thrown together sure. based on very limited data. And he talks about the plan that hopefully there's a Cassini spacecraft that will get uh, a mission launched in 1997 and hopefully it will happen. And it feels good because so many things do get delayed or cut mm-hmm. that it, you know, Carl was hopeful and that it actually did pan out yeah, yeah. and there was so much information that I think, I think we would have been very, very pleased mm-hmm. in that regard. <laughs> sure that's amazing um what else in science news right now is uh keeping you guys interesting i sent you john i think you were away last weekend and i sent you a slew of doomsday articles about uh the environment that i thought was uh fascinating well i'll just speak from my perspective here in colorado glenwood canyon which is where i-70 uh, Interstate 70 runs through it, east to west. Mm-hmm. That's also uh, the early portion of the Colorado River. Has been ex- experiencing endless successions of mudslides that mm-hmm. have been a combination of torrential rain coupled with forest fires that have burned out regions of mountainsides, which now no longer mm-hmm. can hold against the erosion. And it's closed the interstate. And it is a two and a half hour detour around that. And that's the shortest possible way. Hmm. So my sister last week, it was her birthday and she traveled out here, but she thankfully was able to get through when it was open, but she had to take the, the long detour the way back. And she had almost not come out because the, the drive was going to be a lot longer. Hmm. And I think it's really, you know, p- people in Germany and, and, China have lost their lives in catastrophic flooding as well, but it, it it's going to start creeping in on us. It's just going to start. I, I don't even think we're really going to see that big apocalyptic event. I think it's going to be a thousand small apocalypses hmm. just slowly gaining in frequency, yeah. just torrential rain, you know, flood, <laughs> oh my flooding, God. flooding that just wipes out a town and a town and a town right. messes this up and slows down travel and is going to start displacing people more and more it's yeah just i mean these two these whammies just here's a bunch of forest fires here's a bunch of torrential rain just back and forth mm-hmm. and, and that's it's grim i mean i i haven't i barely seen the sun in a week because of the fires in oregon mm-hmm. uh what fire what fires are those uh i don't remember what they're called the but largest... they're just they've been going for at least a month now yeah, it's the. Uh, oh, really? I think it's the. Boot- oh, I've not seen these. I think it's the bootleg fire. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah, I think so. Yeah. yeah. 
No, it's, it's, it's weird because Colorado last year was super dry. And this year it's been getting a whole lot. It's getting lots and lots of rain. Same thing mm. out in Moab, just torrential downpours that are kind of gutting out areas and, and flooding. And Because uh, mm-hmm. as it's getting hotter, there's more moisture that's being put into the air. Right. Right. Yeah, it just... That makes sense. We buckle up. This is, this is what it's going to look like. Oh, Jesus. And we better just... I, I think... The thing is, we're going to have to, and this is very against human nature because humans like instant gratification, but we're really going to have to work on stopping putting any more carbon and pulling carbon out and expect that for us as millennials and just say, and uh, Gen X, that uh, we may, you know, never see the, con- we may never see the benefit of, of all the work we're going to have to put in just to nope. try to not have this turn into a Blade Runner universe. Mm-hmm. I can't, I can't see the skyscrapers of Denver five miles away. Yeah, that's crazy. Uh, air quality is bad. That's wild. Yeah. And then, then that's kind of the, the one too, is just like, you know, when do we start go- really going backwards and because of our health, because of how much smoke we're breathing in. It's, um, I mean, I, I don't really know what else to add to that. Just, uh, <laughs> That's a good answer. You know, That's a you're good. just getting. You're getting. We know but, where the work is. That needs, we know where the work needs to be put in. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. I think that's a great answer to the what science is keeping you up at night. That's a that's a good one. Uh, <laughs> science that keeps me up at night is how little we recycle, how much plastic waste there is. I think that that's the one that really gets me because even i went to spain and spain barely recycles which is not what i would have thought of a european country mm. in the eu but really like you, none none no i mean if you go to a restaurant they're not pouring you tap water and the tap water is fine i drank the tap water when i could but everywhere you go they're open cracking open a fresh glass or plastic bottle mm-hmm. of agua con gas or agua sin gas um you know bubble sparkling water or, or still and I'm just thinking about how plastic waste we, we unavoidably generated on our trip, mm-hmm. and it kind of hurt my soul. I could not agree with you more. <laughs> I uh, think the inability of our society to um, listen to the wise words of scientists, mm-hmm. right, in general, and it's like kind of full circle conversation – is uh you know uh, the bill comes due, and I and I just think that we keep pushing the bill farther and farther out, mm-hmm. and that bill is going to be larger and larger whenever, whether it's our kids, whether it's us, whether it's our kids' kids, mm-hmm. whoever has to pay that bill, it, it's going to go from something that was very manageable to apocalyptic. Yeah, exactly. I think Loki did it. It did it subtle, or not even that subtle, but um, good nods when they're looking through disasters, and they're and they're going off all these climate disasters and different things happening in the late twenty forties and early twenty fifties. Yeah, and, you know they go what to twenty fifty something with that um, that terrible hurricane that was about to destroy the city. I'm, right. And, I mean, there's no subtlety with that storytelling at all. Nope. Uh, People need to stop, you know, within the context, people think, oh, you know, it's part of Loki. Yeah. However, that's probably not that fiction. So, Mm -hmm. (laughs) which is also what probably makes it so good. (laughs) That's awesome. Really full circle, man. You really brought it back to the very first thing. Nice job. That was really, 
really full circle. Well, I think that's a great thing for us to end uh, this episode on. So I'm going to, um, you know, my final words today are, Kang, please just fix our uh, pollution issue. <laughs> that, that's really that's really all I care about. If you're listening and whatever multiverse you uh, preside in, I, I hope to get uh, cleaner oceans. Thank you. <laughs> John, do you have any parting words? Um, my parting words are for people to go out who listen to this and do research to understand how lithium-ion batteries work and where the advancements in technology in that field are happening. Hmm. That's a good one. Yeah. My turn? Thanks. Um, I was going to say, uh, same sort of setup as you, John. I was going to say, you know, I was going to encourage everybody to go out and read a bunch of science stuff and use your critical thinking skills because you all have them. It's not something that just only scientists have. Everybody has them. And, you know, evaluate the information based on sound science. I love it. Well, guys, keep keep questioning everything. Don't think the scientific method needs decades to work. If, with the right resources, like the entire freaking planet, it could happen in a year. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, keep uh, keep thinking. Thanks, guys. We'll talk to you soon. Thank Bye. you. Bye.